This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. So before I invite uh, Pastor Andrew Wong to come out and preach to us God's Word, so we're going to be reading a Bible passage together. So I, just, I shall give you all some time to take out a Bible. And this morning, our passage is from 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. And all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. So you have a Bible, please um, kindly flip to the passage. Or if not, you can refer to the projection here up front. Verse 22. Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, Love one another, or deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, Crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to Him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in Him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you are not a people, but now you are a people of God. 
once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of God. A very good morning to everyone. It's a joy and privilege to be with you and with God's people. It's a privilege we get to enjoy, but we do not take for granted. And it's something that we rejoice in that after being through a year of COVID to know that no matter what happens, we never walk alone because God never leaves us to our own means. And so we thank God for church. And I hope if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, that you all have it, that you will flip to First Peter chapter 1 with me as we will look at it together. So if you have a Bible, flip it there and we'll ask God to help us as we uh, turn to His Word. Let's pray. Oh dear Father, we thank you that you have given us your living word that endures forever. Oh God, thank you that you did not leave us here alone, but you also give us your church. Father, this morning as we open up your word, as we unpack your truth, we pray that you will help us to look at your living word and that we can understand it and that we can respond to it by the power of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, and for your glory and yours alone. Amen. Now suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind filled the place, and men began to speak in different languages. Now this happened at an important festival, and many people from all nations, they were all gathered in that city. When they heard this sound, the huge crowd were shocked and astonished, and they gathered because they hear languages of their own being spoken to them. And then of the dozen of men who could speak multiple languages, one man, one man stood up, and he began to preach the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ and how the wicked men wanted to, put, um, wanted to kill him, and they did kill him. But they could not keep him dead, and so he rose from the dead, and that man was our Lord Jesus. When the crowd heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to that man, Brothers, what must we do? And in reply, that man, he replied, saying, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And with many words of warnings, he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. The man who spoke up, who was that man? He was none other than the Apostle Peter. And on that day, 300 people were added to the fold of the group. And that was the beginning of the Christian church. Now, dear friends, through the good news of hearing Jesus Christ preach, people came to believe and came to receive forgiveness and grew in this new life as a community of God's chosen people. Through believing in Jesus, this Christian community now have a living and glorious purpose while they are still living here. And this group of people, we call them God's people, God's family, we call it church. So as we come to Peter's letter today, this passage today is all about the Christian church, a people who has a glorious new life and a glorious new purpose right now. Now, a few weeks ago when we first started, we started with 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, we are told 
that God's people are elected but in exile. And then from verse 3 to verse 12 of chapter 1, we're reminded that Christians, we have this great glorious inheritance in the future, but we are not home yet. And last week, from chapter 1, verse 13 to 21, Christians are reminded we are on this pilgrim progress. We are not on a travelator. We need to progress and so we need to be alert and sober to set our hope on God's grace. We need to be holy in our conduct because God is holy and we need to have a reverent fear of God because He is both our Father and He is also our judge. Now this week today as we look at chapter 1 verse 22 to chapter 2 verse 10, Peter huddles the Christians together like a coach to remind them that you will never walk alone. You are a church. The church has a glorious life and a glorious purpose in this life through the living word and living stones. So for those who find visuals helpful, I put on the next slide to show you the structure of today's passage. Now today's passage is about the church. The church has this glorious life through the living word from verses 22 to chapter 2 verse 3 and the glorious purpose that it has, it is built on the living stone from God. Chapter 2 verse 4 to chapter 2 verse 10. Now in our glorious life now, we are called to recognize that both our spiritual birth and our spiritual growth centers around the living word of God. And we are told that our glorious purpose and our identity is built and hinges upon the living stone of God. Now, what does this glorious life look like? If you ask Peter of the church. Now, if that's the question you were asked, and I hope you did, Let's look at the very first verse of today's passage. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22. Let me read it for us. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, Peter is saying that the life of the church begins by obeying God's truth and that leads naturally to loving God's church. And so they are to exercise this call to love deeply. It might sound strange at the beginning when you hear, how does believing in the truth or obeying the truth becomes a loving of the church? What does it mean to obey the truth? Well, if you have your Bible open and you look at verse 23, Peter says that people are born again by the word of God, just like the first church in Acts 2. And if you look on to verse 25, it says that they were saved by the word of God, the message given to them. So obeying the truth involves believing in the good news of Jesus. Now at this point, I think it's a perfect place for you to look at your Bible in verse 1 to realize the word you is not singular, it's plural. In fact, the rest of the letter is, is plural. In English, you can't differentiate it. I've checked the Chinese Bible. It is used, you all. And I even spoke to a Japanese lady in my Bible study group, and she says, even the Japanese Bible used you all as a plural. It's great implication if we miss that out. So here it is. 
what he's saying is that God did not just save us, each of us, for our individual pleasure. But he has intended and he did save a people for himself. And that's always how God has done it since the Old Testament, where he called the people of Israel out of slavery to worship and to praise him. Now, when we recognize that we are saved by the works of Jesus on the cross, we are set apart for him, we quickly recognize that Christians, when we respond to the truth, we are bound together by the blood of Jesus. We are no longer alone. We are bound together by the blood of our Lord who purifies us. And so because of our collective identity now, as God's people or family, Peter says, Christians, you need to love one another deeply from the heart. Or if you have an ESV version, genuinely your brotherly love or sisterly love for your spiritual family, the church. We're never meant to walk this life alone when we become a Christian. In fact, this love is uniquely Christian. Now, it's great to do good works, to care for people, to have compassion. Those are very commendable. But here, the love is way more than that. This Christian love that's described to us <clears throat> is deeply from the heart and recognizes that we are all saved by the same precious blood of Jesus. No wonder if you look onto this passage, Peter didn't give a list of actions to be done. Maybe later on he will give in situation, but here you look at it, he didn't tell you what to do, the step one, step two, step three, to love a brother or a sister. You know what he did? Look at verse one of chapter two. He says this, Therefore, read yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Peter says, I want you to deal with the wrong love that you have. What are these least? They are a misplaced love for ourselves. And when we have that misplaced love for ourselves, we are not able to love God's people. And so he turns to the heart, because it is through the heart that will love God's people deeply. Peter says to the Christians, if you obey the truth, if you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, if you come under the family of God bound by the blood of Jesus, if you believe that you have received the life-giving and life-transforming word of God, then our lives need to be marked by this ongoing, sincere, brotherly and sisterly love. A love that filters out the wrong concept of love, the hatred, the lies, the falsehood, the jealousy, the smearing the names of others. To love deeply from the heart requires a constant removal of our past evil desires that Peter mentioned already back in chapter 1, verse 15. Love seeks the good of the others from within the heart. And so this list in chapter 2, verse 1, it shouldn't happen in a healthy family of yours. And you know that it's not great when it's there. At the same time, it should not be there in the spiritual family of God as well. Now, to be honest, those who are Christians, if you've lived long or been a Christian long enough, you know that it is not easy at all. We know in our mind that we should love, but it is not easy to love unless, unless you are so selective that you only love a few friends and these are your Christians and the rest you're not, then you have a very wrong concept of church. But if we try to love the people of God, the church of God, we know that people have hurt us, and if we're honest, we have hurt others as well. So here we have 
as Peter goes on, he doesn't just give us the instruction for Christians to love each other since we are born. He points out the power that first saved us can help us do it in chapter 2, verse 2. But right now, I just want to spend a moment to look at the way Peter described this living Word of God. I want to look at verse 23 to 25. If you have a Bible, look at it with me as I read it for us. Verse 23, For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring Word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Now, no one, no one in God's family ever gets saved from the perishable life to the imperishable by using perishable stuff in their perishable lives. These things that we do and this life that we have are really like grass and flowers of the field that withers and then it falls in the blink of an eye. It is gone. For a moment, I thought I was in primary school and now my kids are in primary school and in the, flick, in the blink of an eye, they will be where I am. Rather, we are being saved by, this, by believing in this powerful, imperishable, enduring, living Word of God. Now, I want to do this exercise and I see on my left side, most people have their Bible. I want you to take out a Bible you have. If yours is digital, you can use uh, your finger. I want you to take out your Bible with me the way that I am and put your thumb here, your right thumb, and try to open it the way that you will open a, like doing a fan. And now as you flip your Bible, notice what is happening. That all the names, the list of names, just passes by your fingertip. Some takes a bit longer. But they pass. But there's only one thing that continues in every single page as you flip right to the end is the enduring word of God. The one that created heaven and earth. The one that saves his people from slavery. The one that promised eternal life. The one that came in to our life to save us and resurrected. And the one right at the end will bring the eternal kingdom of God into reality. And here's the amazing thing that Peter wants us to know. That if our life is just by ourselves, we are just one of those pages. You can feel grand, but the grandness would just decay and is no more. And no one remembers your greatness. But those who believe in the living word of God, even as their life passes right at the last page, they are resurrected from the dead and their life and their names comes back from the tomb and becomes a real and living person because those who believe in Jesus will be raised to life the way that Jesus has already been resurrected from the dead. Now here is the amazing truth that Peter wants us to know. The final day, the last page, they will be reappearing of God's mercy that he said in chapter 1, verse 3, the glorious inheritance of chapter 1, verse 4, the salvation of the soul, chapter 1, verse 9. Those that were perishable, they become imperishable when they have accepted and received the imperishable word and living word of God. Now, that's what Peter wants the Christians to remember, that this word gives us our spiritual birth and it will be this word that will grow us in our salvation. 
to help us love deeply, to get rid of the wrong concept of love, and to really rejoice in this gift. Look at chapter 2, verse 2 with me now. It says this, Like newborn babies craving pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. I asked two of my Bible studies this week, what comes to your mind when you hear a baby crying and craving for milk? Well, the, the people with the clearest mind are all the moms. And they say, well, because they're hungry, they need it to feed, they need survival. That is what keeps them alive. Now, when my kids were young, I remember at 2 a.m. every night, I don't know why we didn't have enough bottles and I wasn't, my brain wasn't working to buy more bottles. At 2 a.m., every, every night in winter, I'll be washing bottles and I'll be staring at a cat, my neighbor's cat, and I'll ask him, I speak to, to animals, and I'll say to her every day, hey, why are you doing here? You could be sleeping. I can't because my kids wouldn't tell me, that, Dad, why don't you sleep a few more hours before you, you feed us with the milk? They don't because their craving is for survival. Now, Peter says for Christians, that the way God's word is, is the way that we should behave towards uh, the babies, the way that babies behave towards milk, that we need to crave for this word of God. The NASB put it, translated nicely, the pure milk of the word. So we need it in order for us to grow. No, we are not just saved by God's word, we are growing by drinking deeply in God's word. Now, someone who has tasted the goodness of God when we first believe in Jesus, we need to remember that goodness continues to flow as we drink deeply in God's word. Because it is God's word that will help us to fight our own nature, help us to deal with our sinfulness that hinders us from loving each other. And so Peter says, verse 3, Remember how good the Lord is when he saved you by his word, and so drink and crave for it. May Lord help us. May, the, may our Lord help us to, to crave for his word and to drink from his word. Now, I just want to be clear, to crave for God's word is not the same as scratching the intellectual itch that we have. It may look the same on a Sunday, but it is very different. People have told me this, and I have from my own experience, how during university decades ago, there will be people who are so fervent and speak so eloquently, and 20 years down the road, 30 years down the road, they no longer believe in God. The scratching the each of your intellect does not grow you, but the craving for God's Word and the pleading for God's Holy Spirit to help us to believe and understand and respond to God's Word, that builds us up. And the Christians will need this in the coming chapters when Peter brings them into the society. So here's the application for us for this section from 22 to chapter 2, verse 3. If we're not yet a Christian, but you're here, I'm so thankful that you're here, whether it's via Zoom or here. Can I invite you to think and consider this living word of God? To at least read it and consider what God wants to offer. This word that continues to be there in history where human passes every time and every generation. Would you read it and ask if God will speak to you and reveal himself through his word?
if we are Christians here, will we grow in our love for each other? Will we remember God's goodness that we tasted when we first become a Christian and ask the Lord to help us to desire and crave for His Word so that we may know Him better, that we may know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that was on the cross, the deep love that God has for you and me, if only we will know and taste it, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that will engage with us, that we can know that God is real and His Word endures forever. Now, having looked at that portion of the Christian life and the Christian church, we move for a shorter time on the glorious life of Christians in the next portion and the glorious purpose that we have. Chapter 2, verse 4 to 5. Let me read this for us. Now, as you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to Him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, in this second section from verse 4 to verse 10, Peter then pulls back the curtain of heaven so that we can see God as the great architect and His grand design that He has plans for eternity. Uh, we had some architects in our church they, they, they do designing and they, they do great stuff. But here we are given a glimpse behind the curtains of God's grand design. And when you see behind the curtain, the centerpiece of His great design is a living stone, the Lord Jesus Christ and His death and His resurrection. And surrounding it are little living stones called the Christians who whose purpose are now transferred from our own little ones to something that's eternal. And because we are chosen for God and for His purpose now, we no longer need to live and build our own temporal houses in this fleeting time. We no longer need to mortgage our lives for a few decades of decaying and withering glory. We no longer need to prove that we are better than others and always be right in every argument. We no longer need to practice malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander to protect ourselves and to cover the decay whenever we sin. We no longer need to embrace FOMO or YOLOs because there is no fear of missing out and you live twice and not once. We do not need to fear the trials and rejections that are coming soon in the rest of the letter because we have a greater purpose and a grander design. Instead, we can now give up our podium. We can give up our podium and embrace that glorious, heavenly structure that God has that He calls the spiritual house or temple. Look at verse 5. He says this. To us, to Christians, He says, to be like living stones being built in a spiritual house or a spiritual temple. Now, Peter is not saying we are literally these blocks of stones walking around, or if you have a Lego man, that you have this Lego on your head. In fact, my daughter helped me to do this stop motion, so I'll just show it to you. Um. There you go. Just, just to 
give you a bit of a pause to look at it. Peter is not saying that we're these blocks of wood walking, blocks of bricks walking around. But he is saying that when we are the living spiritual house of God, he's actually also saying that the physical temple is no longer where God dwells and where people find God. So the, the scattered Christians in Asia Minor no longer have to take pilgrimage to Jerusalem to find God. And the Christians will no longer have to be shocked in AD 70 when the temple gets totally smashed. Because God is with God's people. And that's what he's saying, that we are the new spiritual temple with Jesus as the foundation. So in a very real sense, God is always dwelling with his church, regardless of our circumstances. He'll never forsake us because we are bound to the cornerstone, to Jesus Christ, the living stone. We will not walk alone because God will dwell with his spiritual house. But yeah, I think even a greater sense here, Peter is trying to tell us we are now part of God's grand purpose. What is our purpose now, someone may ask. Well, our purpose now, according to Peter, is to live and offer God's spiritual sacrifices to Jesus Christ, verse 5. And this sacrifice by Christians, it is not a saving sacrifice. It is a pleasing sacrifice. Because the cornerstone has already done the saving sacrifice. The rest of us are the decos, the pleasing sacrifice because of how good God is. Peter says, we now take on a role of a holy and royal priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices. Now if you ask Peter further, Peter, what does it actually look like to give spiritual sacrifices? He will say, look on to verse 9. And he explains, it is by declaring the praises of God who saves us. So now our lives and our purpose are profoundly connected to God's glorious purpose of building this holy nation with Jesus in the center. He's the saving and redeeming one, and he's gathering people to himself for the glory of God. That should have happened in Genesis 1 and 2, if not for Genesis 3. In fact, the New Testament gives us more insights of this spiritual sacrifice. In Hebrews 13, let me read this for us. Verse 15 and 16, it says this, Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess His name. And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Or again, in Romans 12, verse 1 and 2, that famous passage, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So our glorious purpose in this life right now as a church and as individual is to praise God, whether it's from our lips, declaring it to others, whether it's in, through our deeds, through our hands, to acknowledge that He deserves the all of our being. So as we do that as a church, whether we are in a big local church or you're in one of the persecuted community that Andrew was praying about earlier on. We are all a small part of God's grand structure. We're all that small little 
piece of the wall as God keeps building it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes its full glorious state when Jesus returns. So we're all called, whether we're here or wherever we are, that we're praying for Christians elsewhere. We're all the same holy and royal priesthood offering this sacrifice of praise to God wherever we are, declaring God's praise and living our lives for Him. So as Peter calls the church to praise God, he once again brings to our attention that our glorious purpose is always centered around Jesus Christ, the living stone. And so it is important for us to keep our eyes always focused on Jesus as we face the world because what happens to him, the living stone, will happen to the living stones. And we will find that in the chapters to come. Verse 4 makes it clear that Jesus, the living stone, he was rejected by humans, but he was chosen and precious to God. And so the living stones, the Christians, the church, we need to remember in times of trials and sufferings that we are chosen and we are precious to God. Never forget that. Always look to the cross and remember on the greatest time of pain and trial in your life that you are precious. You will see that on the cross, on that living stone. Because in reality, as we close, there are only two responses to Jesus, the living stone, and two outcomes. Verse 7 says, The stone the builder rejects has become the cornerstone. In fact, this verse comes up from Psalms 118, and Jesus himself said that in Mark chapter 12, verse 10, as a judgment to all who rejects him, that they will have to deal with their own sins. But for those who believe in Jesus, Scripture says, it says in verse 6, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. They will be bound to him in God's grand plan. So one cornerstone, two paths. And those who fall and trust in him become part of his living stones. But those who reject him gets fallen off and disconnected. So dear brothers and sisters, as we round up our time this morning and afternoon, let us rejoice that though we have not yet received that glorious inheritance, though we are still on a journey, we are not walking it alone. We are walking with God's family and God's church. The best is yet to be. The trials are still to come. The church may look awkward or out of place in this world. But we need to take heart. We need to take heart and rejoice even today that we have God's living word that saves us and grows us and we are part of the living stone and God's spiritual house that will one day be revealed to be the only structure that stands. May God help us. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, Visit us online at busypc.sg